Well, let's begin like we often do, reading our passage for this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses um, 20 to 24. We'll start reading though in verse 17. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, Herman Bavink said something in his book, Reform Dogmatics, that has stuck with me for many years. He said regarding Christians, the rule of organic life applies to them, become what you are. The rule of organic life. And you, you know this rule, even if you haven't really thought about it before. You know, when a seed is planted... It, it really, in a sense, has everything that it needs to become what it, what it is, what it's to be. Of course, it's going to need nutrients and, and other resources, but if it is an oak, it will grow to become and, and mature to become an oak. Or if it is a potato, it will become a potato. And so whatever a thing is as a seedling, it's going to grow to become that thing when it is fully mature. And so the rule of organic life is become what you are. Grow into the thing that which you were in seed form made to be. I'll give you the fuller quote from Bavink. Uh, he says, quote, Those who are born of God increasingly become the children of God and bear His image and likeness because in principle they already are His children. The rule of organic life applies to them. Become what you are. And then he says, Jesus and the apostles derive the most compelling reasons for spurring them on to a holy life from what believers now already are by grace through faith. Now last week in verses 17 to 19, we saw what the Gentiles are. We we saw who unbelievers are. Their hard hearts led to ignorance, an internal, culpable, guilty kind of an ignorance, which led them to be alienated from the life of God. They were separated from the new birth and the eternal life that God has implanted in the believer. And they were, from then, they were, they were led to a, a darkened understanding which led ultimately to them walking, to to them living in futility of mind. 
And so the Gentiles were a certain way in their hearts, and they, they lived that out in their outward actions. There was this connection between who they were by nature and what they did in their actions. And the same thing we're going to see in our text is true of the believer, is true of the Christian. Who we are by grace as new creatures in Christ should come forth, and it will come forth in how we live. You see, we are different, and we should be different. We should live differently than the unsaved person. But there's a process of growth in which we need to grow into who we were created anew to be. Our text today addresses the believer and it tells us who we are if we're in Christ. We are no longer like the Gentiles described in verses 17 to 19 and and therefore we should not be like them. We should not live like them. We've been created after the likeness of God. And what a remarkable description of the new birth there in verse 24. Look at it again. It says, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Or created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. A righteousness and holiness that comes from the truth. This is who we were created to be. This is who we are if we are in Christ. And really what Paul's saying here then is that it needs to be lived out. We need to become what we are. And the verses we'll look at today mostly focus on who the believer is and, and what has happened to us in our salvation in verses 20 to 24. And then in verses 25 to, to 32, we're going to see that those verses are going to focus on how we should live what we should do in light of who we are. So today it's more focused on who we are. And then next time, and I haven't decided if I'm going to do a Christmas thing next week or if we're going to just keep going through the text. But um, next time we look at Ephesians anyways, we're going to look at verses 25 to 32 that really show us how we should live in light of who we are. And so what we're going to see today is four lessons learned in the school of Christ that should result in holy living. We're gonna, we're gonna look at these lessons that, that we're to learn in the school of Christ that the Ephesians had already learned. And these again should result in holy living. These should help us to live our lives in a way that glorifies God. And the first lesson in this school is Jesus Christ Himself. This is number one in your outline. You learned Christ Jesus. This is the first lesson. You learned Christ Jesus. We're going to see this in verses 20 to 21. It says, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So what we want to do first here is is kind of set these verses in their context. Again, verse 17 says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then it goes on to describe how the Gentiles walk and really to describe who they were. And remember, most of it had to do with their hearts last week. Most of it had to do with their minds, with their thinking, with their inner person. And now Paul switches to say, but, but you are different. You believer, you, you're not, you're not like them. Therefore, no longer live like them. 
And there's a contrast here between the Gentiles and between the, the Gentile Ephesian believers. And so there's a, a contrast between the believer and the unbeliever. And they're really on opposite ends of a spectrum, although there's really no other places in between. They're just really on, in opposite places. You're either in the one or you're the other. You're either a believer or you're an unbeliever. And again, verses 17 to 19 describe the Gentile unbelievers, and now verses 20 to 24 describes the believer. As the unbeliever's life flowed from their corrupted nature and thinking resulting in all sorts of sin, so the believer's life should flow from their renewed nature and thinking resulting in holiness and righteousness. Notice in verses 20 and 21, we have words of learning and being taught and hearing. And so we're in the school of Christ. And this also has to do with our hearts and our thinking and who we are on the inside. And the first lesson again is Christ himself, verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And there's a number of contrasts happening here. Of course, the word but makes a contrast with what came before. Do not walk like the Gentiles who walk like this, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Also, the word you is doubly emphatic. Uh, in the Greek text anyways, you learned Christ. In a Greek sentence, it, it's the, the word you is moved up to the front of the sentence, and that's how you emphasize something in Greek. But also, the word you isn't even necessary in the text because the word you is already built into the verb where it says you learned. And so there's a, a huge emphasis here on, on you. It's, it's, it's but, but you. Like, here's these Gentiles, but, but you. And, and they're, it's just totally different. We talked about them Gentiles, but, but you, there's something different about you. Now, the third contrast is the negative, the word there, not, but it's literally not thus did you learn, not thus. And the ESV translates it there, but that is not the way. And the, the way points back to the, the way of the unbelieving Gentiles, the, the way that they lived, the thus is how they lived, but not not you. That's not the way that you learned Christ, that, and, and it's not the way that you learned And so the Ephesians had learned something completely different. And if you're a Christian, you've learned something completely different than the Gentiles. And actually, you learned someone. If you're a Christian, you have learned Christ. Now, we know from earlier in Ephesians that the Ephesians didn't learn Christ because they were smarter than other Gentiles. Or because their hearts were softer than other Gentiles? No, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were dead. They were made then alive with Christ. They were saved by grace. God, the, the grace of God overcame their resistance and opened the eyes of their hearts and made them alive with Christ. And the same is true of you if you're a Christian. God opened your eyes and granted you faith by making you alive with Christ even while you were still dead in your trespasses and sins. And God then united you to Jesus Christ. 
And now there's this stark difference because of that union with Christ between who you once were and who you are now. There's a remarkable difference between one who is alive with Christ and one who is dead in trespasses and sins, just as in the physical realm, there's a remarkable difference on the physical level between someone who is alive and someone who's dead. And this is the contrast that Paul is making when he says, but, but that is not the way you learned Christ. You see, we should never underestimate the change that God has done when He made us new in Christ and He put His Holy Spirit in us. Scripture speaks of this in really the highest terms. And it's because of this change that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles walked. And we need not walk in our former sinful patterns because of what God has done for us. Now notice the fourfold reference to Jesus Christ here. You learned Christ, first of all. You heard about Him, secondly. You were taught in Him, number, number three. And then four, just as the truth is in Jesus. Now, usually we learn something, right? We learn some content. We learn even maybe some behavior. You know, we might say it this way, if we were kind of making this sentence, we might say, you did not learn to live that way. Or we might say, you did not learn about Christ that way. But that's not what Paul says. The text says, that is not the way you learned Christ. And this is a unique saying then, really unparalleled in any ancient Greek literature. If you're a Christian, you learned Christ. You learned a person, Jesus Christ. And this points to a a personal relationship that a Christian has with Christ. And it's difficult even to really explain this because I want to tell you about Christ, but again, you didn't learn about Him, although learning Him would involve learning certain things about Him. But to learn Christ really means to come to know Him personally. To come to know Him personally. And what, what Paul is expressing here is what we sometimes talk about when we describe saving faith as personal trust. You see, we trust a living person, Jesus Christ, right? We, we trust a person, the one who made atonement for our sins and the one who represented us as the second Adam, who fulfilled all righteous, all the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. We trust in Him. We trust Him who died and rose again. We trust a person to save us, to save us from our sins, to save us from God Himself. From God who is going to punish us for our sins forever because of those sins, but we trust in Christ, the person of Christ, to deliver us from the danger that we were in, to deliver us from God and His wrath. You see, we don't, we don't trust a system of salvation. We don't trust in our trust, which is a mistake that we sometimes make. We don't trust in our trust in Christ as though faith saves us. We trust in a living Savior who rose from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ, who accomplished everything that is necessary to save His people. And we trust Him. We know Him. We have learned Him. And this is really the unique feature of the new covenant. That everyone who belongs to this covenant knows the Lord. We have learned Christ. 
And to kind of look at this a little bit, I want you to, to find the book of Jeremiah in your Bibles. Let's go to Jeremiah starting in chapter 2. In Jeremiah chapter 2, the, the Lord um, complains, if I could say it that way, about, about his people under the old covenant. Raises a complaint against them, maybe we should say. And, and the complaint really comes down to this. The people forsook the Lord because they never really knew the Lord. And so we'll start reading in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 4. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. And all the clans of the house of Israel, thus says the Lord. What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handle the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Verse 9, therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coast of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now verse 8 and repeated again in, in, or before in verse 6, the, the people didn't ask this important question, where is the Lord. See, the people didn't seek the Lord and, and they didn't know the Lord in verse 8 and they transgressed against the Lord and they forsook the Lord and they pursued other gods and, and worthlessness and they themselves, verse 5, became worthless. And this is very similar to what we saw of the Gentiles in, in Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. This is very similar what we see in Romans chapter 1, but Jeremiah here is talking about Israel. God delivered them from Egypt, but they didn't, they didn't know him. They didn't seek him. Now I want you to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31, and I want to look at the new covenant promise here in Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, later this morning, we're going to celebrate the forgiveness of our sins in the new covenant. In Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, it's, um, it says there, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And in the new covenant that is not like the old covenant, there's going to be no need to say, know the Lord, because everyone in that covenant will know the Lord from the least of them to the greatest. And they will no longer go after worthlessness or empty cisterns or false gods because God will be their God and God will write His law within them on their hearts. And that new covenant is already inaugurated today. This is speaking about who we are in Christ through the new covenant. Or in the words of the, the new covenant passage in Ezekiel 36, 26, you don't have to turn there, but Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so knowing the Lord and the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit and a soft heart and an obedient disposition, all of these things are granted in the new covenant. Or we could say that all of these things are granted in our salvation. And all of this is included when Paul says, you learned Christ. To learn Him is, is really, again, to know Him personally, through his work and and through his transformative work in your life. To know him through his word and through his the, the, the change that he's wrought in your life. And we know him because he lives in us and he, and he works in us. And so Paul will say in Galatians 2.20, if you're on your way back to Ephesians here, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, you know it well, I think. It says there, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we know him because he lives in us and he works in us. And so go back to our text, Ephesians 4, and look at verse 21. It says there, assuming, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. And so they heard about Christ. And that's really the idea of verse 21. Some translations translate that different. But they, they heard about Christ. They, they, they heard Him. They, they really they heard about Him. They, Jesus never preached in Ephesus. But they, they heard about Him. And they were taught in Him. 36 times in Ephesians, Paul says, in Christ or in whom or, or in him referring to Christ. And so this is speaking about this union with Christ, this vital 
theme that the, the Christian is joined to and connected to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says that we were created in Christ. Or Ephesians 2.13 says that in Christ we were brought near to God and, and we were brought near by the blood of Christ in Him. And in Him, we have all of the benefits of salvation, of, of everything that, that Jesus accomplished for us. All of that is ours in Christ. Whereas outside of Him, outside of Christ, there is no salvation and there are no benefits. And so when Paul says you were taught in Him, he's talking about a teaching that happens in union with Christ, in connection with Christ. Now we'll see what, what they were taught in verses 22 to 24. They were, they were taught that their old self or the old man was put off and that the, the new self or the new man was put on and that they must be renewed in the inner mind, in the, in the inner self. And we'll talk about that more in a, in a minute. What we were taught in Christ in, in union with Him isn't, isn't merely information. See, this teaching transforms our nature. And it delivers us from who we once were as unsaved people. The truth in Jesus really sets us free. And that's the idea here. The truth in Jesus sets us free. And really, you can't be in union with Christ without a significant transformation that takes you out of the condition of the Gentiles and makes you a new person in Him because all of the benefits of Christ are ours in Him. And this is really so important for us to understand. There, there's, no, there's no union with Christ that doesn't change the life. Now the text says at the beginning of verse 21, assuming that, literally, if indeed. And, and this is meant to to make us pause and, and ask ourselves the, the question, really an important question, have I heard about Christ? Was I taught in Him? Now the expected answer here is, is yes, you were, assuming that you heard of Him, and, and Paul expects that, that of course the Ephesians have heard of Him, but, but the, 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 the phrasing is, is designed in a way that makes us ask ourselves and, and answer this question. And if we answer yes, then it takes us back to verse 20 where we did not learn Christ in such a way that we would walk in sensuality. We did not learn Christ in, in such a way that we would walk in impurity. Or we did not learn Christ in such a way then that would, would ha- have us being hard in our hearts that leads to the futility of our minds where we pursue other things and other God's small g besides the true and living God. And so if we heard Him and were taught in Him, then then we should know that we are not at all like the Gentiles. We are altogether different in Him. Now the next three lessons learned in the school of Christ are connected to verse 21 where it says, you were taught. And what they do is they supply what was taught in Christ. And remember, these things should result in holy living. And the first one is in number two in our outline. But you have put off your old man, verse 22. You have put off your old man. Now, verses 22, 23, and 24, they all start with two. 
So verse 22, to put off your old self. Verse 23, you were taught to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, you were taught to put on the new self. Now there's an interpretive issue here that, that I could actually probably spend about 30 minutes or maybe even more kind of dealing with this, discussing this, but I'm not going to do it. Um, the question is, is something like this as we think about how do we interpret these. Is, is Paul saying that, that they were taught to do something? Or is he saying that they were taught that these things had already been done? That's the question here. And I, and I realize if you just look at your English Bible, it, it really looks like they were taught to do something, that they were taught to put off their old self and that they were, and that they were taught to put on the new self. And that that is what, what they would have to do. But in Greek, it could go either way. And I believe it makes more sense to see this not as a, a command to do something, but rather as a statement about who they already are in Christ. In verses 22 and 24, the, the put off and put on statements there are in the, in a past tense form. And so they were taught not to, not to put off their old self, but that it had already been put off in Christ. And they were taught not to put on a new self as if they could kind of create themselves anew or, or do that themselves. No, they were, they were taught that they were new in Christ past tense. Now, it's really hard to bring that out in English with the, the infinitives there, but, um, and, and I think the interpreters did a good job of just kind of leaving it literal so that we could kind of see it in the text. But I think these are things that are speaking about things that have already happened. But then in verse 20, uh, 25, there's a present tense there. Verse 25 is present. Verse, sorry, not 25, verse 23 is present tense there. To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's, that's signaling an ongoing action that the believer is, is constantly being renewed in their minds. And so to, to be clear, here's what I, I think the text is saying. You were taught in Christ that you have laid aside the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and that you are being renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you have put on the new self created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And these are things that have been done when we learned Christ. And the first one is that we have put off our old self. And this just fits with other scriptures as well. Galatians 5.24 Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then in verse 9 it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And of course, Romans chapter 6 says that we should not continue in sin now that we've been justified by faith because we've been baptized into the death of Christ and we died with Christ so that we could be raised with him to newness of life. Romans 6.4 says we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And then verse 6 says, For we know that our old self 
was crucified, past tense again, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. And so this doctrine pervades the New Testament. Our old self, our old life before salvation is dead. That, that, that old man, that person who we once were, that's been crucified and we have died with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And in our text, Paul describes this old self or this old man in, in vivid present tense terms. First, this old man belongs to our former manner of life. It's, he's not talking about our, our present manner. He's talking about our, our former manner, something that used to be true about us. This is who we were. This is not who we are now. This is who we were. Who we were was corrupt or being corrupted. And again, this is a vivid present tense picture. The old self is a, a rotting corpse being corrupted by deceitful desires. But when we learned Christ, that old self was put off and we're not the same anymore. You see, Christ is a complete Savior. He doesn't just save us. He doesn't just forgive our sins, but He actually delivers us from our former selves and from the power of sin that used to reign over us. The old person, the old self, the old man is gone. He is crucified. He is taken off. He is laid aside. But that doesn't mean that the Christian never sins or that we won't be tempted to sin. See, our old self has died, and yet, uh, in, a, in a kind of a mysterious way, part of it remains. And we're no longer in the flesh, but yet the flesh, Scripture says, is in us, and we need to grow to become who we were born again to be. And so we need to deal with this flesh for the rest of our lives, but there's been a, a significant change. We are no longer who we once were. And this is where our, our next lesson comes in then. Number three in your outline, you were taught to be renewed in verse 23. You were, you were taught to be renewed or even to be being renewed. We were taught in Christ, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And this again is something that needs to be continually happening to us. This is like the, the nutrients needed to make the orga or organic life grow. The old self was put off and the new self is put on, but we need certain things. We need nutrients to make us grow to be who we are. Just like organic life needs a, a constant supply of, of various resources. Maybe you think about a plant maybe that needs water, sunlight, nutrients from the soil, or you think about us, we need oxygen, we need water, we need carbohydrates. And in the same way, spiritual life needs the, the resource of truth renewing the mind. To grow spiritually, we need to be planted in the rich soil of God's Word. We need the truth from God to radically change the way we think about everything in our lives. And this process of growth into who we are in Christ is what we call sanctification. We are being made holy. That There's a connection there between sanctification and holiness in the original languages. 
We are being made holy. We are being sanctified. We are becoming more and more separate from sin and more and more like Christ in our day-to-day lives. That's sanctification. That's what we call spiritual growth. And it happens because our old self is put off and because we're new, but it happens as our minds are renewed by the truth, as we obey that truth that we learn from God's word, we grow to become who we are. I want you to turn and look at another passage. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, chapter 12 and 13, really an important text on sanctification. Paul says there, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so Paul wants the Philippians to work out their own salvation. See, they they are already saved. They, They have salvation. Christ is in them, but now it must be worked out. It must be shown outwardly in the day to day life. And note the connection here, which is really important to obedience. You see, there's going to be no growth without obedience in our lives. But even more is involved here than, than just merely our own obedience. If we are truly saved, God is working in us. And he's giving us new desires. And he's changing our thinking, changing our values, causing us to will things that please him. And causing us to do things for his pleasure, causing us to hate things that don't please him and to do the opposite good things. And so hence we're to, to do that with fear and trembling because we can't do it alone. God has to work in us. God must work. God must change our wills and our desires and equip us to do the things that we're called to do. And yet we're also responsible to see to it that it happens in us that we obey God. And so in our sanctification, God is working, but also we are working. God is ultimate here. We can't change our wills. We can't do this ourselves. In fact, the only reason we can even begin to do anything is because God has already transformed us in our initial salvation. But we are responsible to see that these things happen to us. We are responsible to put ourselves in situations where our minds will be renewed by the truth of God. And to see that in another place, why don't we flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, another important passage on sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says there, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so we all must behold the glory of the Lord. That's our responsibility. And as we do that, in, in maybe in the Word, we behold the glory of the Lord in, in biblical 
teaching, we behold the glory of the Lord in fellowship and, and prayer as we behold Christ, something happens to us according to this text. And what happens to us as we behold the Lord is we are, we are being transformed. And the Spirit of God is changing us from one degree of glory to another. We're getting more and more like the glorious Christ as this work happens in our lives. And this transformation is not something that we do, but something that's happening to us. We are being transformed. A few verses later in chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. This is a process that God is doing, but, but we're responsible to put ourselves in the stream where, where God renews us by beholding the Lord, by having our minds renewed by the truth. Let's go to another uh, passage here about this. Go to uh, Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Romans 12, starting in verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so Paul is urging, he's appealing, he's pleading, he's exhorting the Romans to do something based on the mercies of God, based on the salvation that they have in Christ that's been described in the first 11 chapters up to this point. And so he appeals them, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so he appeals to them to present their bodies to God and not to be conformed to the world, but to instead be transformed, and note this again, by the renewal of their mind. And again, this transformation is something that God does. It's, it's be transformed. It's something that has to happen to us, but he does so through the transforming of our mind. And so we can go back to Ephesians then, in verse 23, again, to be, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, or in the spirit of your minds. And again, this is a passive verb. This is something that must happen to us and yet it, it's our mind and we must put our mind in the place where it will be renewed. And so this is a call then to be renewed in our minds by the submitting our minds to the life-changing, mind-renewing Word of God. You see, our thinking needs to be changed by God's truth if we're going to grow to become who we are. And if we take all of these things together, all that we've looked at here as far as like these verses on sanctification, Philippians chapter 2 and 2 Corinthians 3.18 and Romans chapter 12, if we take all of that together, the Christian is one who's been taught in Christ that there's a continual process that's to be happening in him or her by which his or her mind is being transformed. We're to have this renewing happening and we're to be transformed by it. 
And what I'm getting at is that, that together this amounts to a command for us to allow God's word to change our minds. And I think faithfulness at, at this point here requires me to apply this a little bit to our current situation, the current kind of baptism discussion that we're having. You know, some of you have, have wrestled with the scriptures and wrestled with your fears and you've come to the to understand baptism in a new way and you've decided to be immersed and, and join Grace Bible Fellowship. And for those of you, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm thankful for the Lord's work in your life. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to your baptism. I'm looking forward to that, that day and, and, and really to serving the Lord together with you in our church. Now others are, are still searching the scriptures, seeking to be convinced about whether immersion is required scripturally, or maybe just working on being renewed in your minds about the value of obedience to Christ and the reward of obeying Him in this way. And so you're, you're working through this. And I think that's, that's awesome. That's great. That's what you really need to be doing. You need to be convinced by the scripture about what is true and what's required of you. And to those of you that are maybe in that area, I would say Philippians 12 or Philippians 2.12 again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so allow God to work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He is, he is working in you, giving you the strength to obey him. Take your time. I, that's what I would say to you. Take your time and, but, but take your time and, and search the scriptures. That's, that's really the key here. Take your time and, and look at the passages that show us the act and the picture of Christian baptism. Look at the passage that, that talk to you about fears that you might have about obeying in this way. Look at those passages and see what God's word says about that so that you can be strengthened to follow through once you're convinced. Be renewed in how you think about what the world around us thinks about you and thinks about us following Christ. But then there's a, a another kind of category or another, maybe some other people that, that I want to talk to here. And, uh, maybe I would, I would characterize it like this. There, there's some that don't like my position. And you don't like me talking about it. And you think that you're just fine how you are and that baptism isn't important. And besides, you were baptized by pouring and, and I, and you should be allowed to become a member. And my fear for you, and, and I know it's true in some cases for some people that is that you haven't really studied the scripture. You haven't, you haven't looked at all the verses on baptism in the New Testament. You've just kind of landed on a position. And you haven't had an open mind. You haven't searched the scriptures to see if those things are so. And perhaps in some cases, you've, you've maybe even spent more time talking to others who agree with you than you've spent reading God's word. Or maybe you've spent more time talking with others than, than talking to God in prayer. Or maybe even in some cases Googling how come pouring isn't okay and finding kind of answers from the internet about how you can kind of get around this, but not really going to the scriptures. Now, I'm not saying that about everyone and I'm not saying that about anyone in particular. I don't, I'm not, I'm not talking to any one person. I, I would talk to you 
in, in private about these things. But what I am saying is that, that we need to take this and apply it to yourself where appropriate. And if that, if, if some of those things are true of you, then that really would, would call for repentance. Because our, our thinking needs to be renewed by God's truth. If we're going to follow the Lord, our minds need to be renewed by God's truth, not by people who agree with us, but by the Word of God. Now, when I preached this sermon in, in 2017, when I preached this text, not this sermon, but um, I said at that time that MacArthur often says something kind of funny. He says something along the lines of, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. That's kind of a, a picture of the simpleton in the Proverbs. Don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. But on the other side of the spectrum, when the truth of God's word is right there before you, don't be stubborn and don't cling to your old patterns of thinking. This text calls us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, in that internal person. By the truth of God's word, we are to be renewed. And this is how we grow in the Christian life. And if you if you forsake this or if you forsake obedience in these ways, you will not grow in your Christian life. And so submit your mind to God and His Word and be transformed. That's what God requires of us, is to, to bring our minds under the authority of His Word, and that's how we follow Him. And so I hope that that, I hope that's helpful. You know, I was kind of, I sat for like an hour. Should I, should I get into this? But it's really my job to, to try to, to push you to obedience in various ways. And if it doesn't apply to you, then I'm, I'm so thankful that it doesn't. But if it does, then I think you need to really take heed there. But let's go to number four now. And this is really a glorious truth. You have put on the new self. Verse 24. This is what you were taught in him, that you have put on the new self. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Or again, in righteousness and holiness, more literally, of the truth. It, it comes from the truth, this righteousness and holiness. And the word translated there, put on, was used for just putting on clothes or getting yourself dressed. And again, I think it's best understood here as something that has already happened to us who are in Christ. This is a past tense thing that in Christ you have put on a new self. Before you were saved, your unregenerate self was hard-hearted and it was being corrupted through deceitful lust. You were kind of going worse and worse, being corrupted, rotting and decaying and being destroyed through these lusts that controlled your life. And you were led by lies, the lies of the world, the lies of the flesh that, that following the desires of the flesh would be fulfilling, the lies of the devil. You were led by Satan's lies, but now in Christ, our righteousness and our holiness comes from the truth. And so we've been renewed by the truth of God and we are being renewed by the truth of God because we're a new person in Christ. And if you're saved, you, you know this new creation because you have been changed. Your life is different. And you love righteousness. And you love holiness. And you want to serve God. And you want to live your life for His sake. And you hate your sin. And you want to put it off and be more like Christ. Again, the argument here is don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't walk like 
an unbeliever, that, that former manner of life was put off and you are a new creation and so live like you are. And so Grace Bible Fellowship this morning, we've been in the school of Christ. And there are lessons that, that should result. These, these are lessons that should result in holiness. And so I ask you then, have you learned Christ? Do you know Him personally? Do you know Him living inside of you, transforming your desires? Are you being transformed by the Spirit of God from one degree to glory to another? Have you learned Christ? Have you learned the truth about your old self? That it's been put off, that it's dead, that it's defeated, and you're no longer to be a slave to sin. Have you learned about the renewal of your mind? Are you being renewed? Are you being transformed by the truth of God's Word? Are you submitting your mind to the Word of God? And have you learned about the new self and what God has done for you in Christ? See, these are foundational truths meant to be applied to every situation to grow you to be like your Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time together in your word. We thank you for these truths that we are new in Christ. We thank you that this old self that we once were, that, that you have put him off when you joined us to Christ, that you killed that old person, that old Mike and that old every one of us. We thank you, Father, that you made us new, that we are a new creation in Christ created for good works, that we are your workmanship, Father. We thank you for what you've done in us, that the, who you've made us to be in righteousness and holiness after the likeness of God. And we pray, Father, that we would grow to be who we are in Christ, that we would grow to be like your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to be renewed by the Spirit of, uh, in the Spirit of our minds, that your Word would transform us in every area. We pray that you would help us and, and grant us even today a greater desire to be in your word and to, to be renewed in those, those things that you've given us, fellowship and prayer and, and the teaching from your word and the studying of your word. Even going through trials, you bring that in, Father, to, to shape us to be like Christ. And so we pray that, that you would work in, inside of us. With fear and trembling, we ask, Father, work in us to will, and to do according to your good pleasure, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.